Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Welcome to the inaugural episode of The Long Run Show with Michael O'Connor and Austin Wilson. I'm Austin Wilson, and he is Michael O'Connor. Yes, that is correct. Today, we are going to be talking about inflation and kind of taking a zooming out and taking a macro look at it. What we are our opinions on on the future of inflation and what we might do to position our portfolios um, in accordance with that. Uh, we, we may have differing opinions. We may have similar opinions, but we're going to flesh that all out. And uh, we'll also do a little bit of a kind of a deep dive on on inflation itself, how it's measured. Um, and then some of the levers that Mr. Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve are pulling to kind of uh, either dampen inflation or respond to what we're seeing, I guess is a better way to put it, um, what we're seeing with the CPI reports. We just got one out today as of the yeah. recording of this podcast, uh, new new report for uh, CPI for August, and that measured um, a little bit of a slight decrease. I, I believe it was 0.3% uh, decrease. Uh, so basically, you, you could say a, a softening or a flattening in the uptick in inflation we've seen over the period of, uh, of a few months here, last uh, six months or so of 2021. Um, we knew some of this was coming based on last year, since no one in the beginning of 2020, if you forgot what happened, there was a little pandemic lockdown thing. Um, no one back then was going out at all and buying things. So obviously there was a lot less money floating around chasing hardly any goods or services. Um, so that that makes sense that we didn't see a whole lot at the beginning of this year as, as far as inflation goes. But um, now that that we are into the latter part of 2021 and we're seeing a little bit of an uptick in well, a lot of bit of an uptick in, in uh, <laughs> economic demand and, and consumer spending. Um, we're going to see more inflation that seemed to be the narrative of, oh, it's transitory. Um, but we had had a conversation, Mike, about yeah. August, September, October, November, that time frame that we're in right now. And looking to those those time periods um, to see what's going to happen with inflation and how that might indicate the longer term trend we're looking at here. And and just to kind of go high level for a, a hot second here as well, that uh, kind of inspired this whole podcast because you know we're we this is the first episode of the long run show. So our goal is to kind of provide a a expanded view, uh, just a top down view try and step back a bit from a lot of the short-term stuff, fluctuations, whatever's going on, um, and to be able to take a real bird's-eye view at what our thoughts, our opinions are for things that are happening in, you know, not just a intra-month or inter-month period, you know, I would say, let's, let's right. not give ourselves a minimum time span for the long-run show, no. but we're not going to, we're not going to put ourselves in a box, um, but it is worth the long run so the yeah. long run exactly so with uh with that in mind inflation i'm i'm interested to just kind of hear your uh take on the long run uh trend of inflation and, and where you think it's headed from here obviously we've got the the cpi data um inflation rate of over five percent for for a couple months in a row here we saw a huge uptick you know obviously end of spring beginning of summer where do you think it's headed you know where do you think the ball's going here yeah for, for me i think the the 
the two immediate takeaways um, from the last, even just the last month have been number one, you know, the, the whole idea of transitory inflation and how the, the Fed is kind of trying to, to pacify, it seems like, you know, a lot of concerns, uh, which at the end of the day is their job. You know, they're trying to make sure the economy is right. as stable as possible. So, uh, uh, you know, there's definitely some voices out there, I would say, criticizing them. But you got to remember, that's their job to just try and exactly. <laughs> keep things uh, very calm. Uh, so the, the, the whole transitory factor, I mean, I mean, if you look at it, just looking at the numbers, it it makes total sense to have this kind of inflation after such a period of like, like you were saying, like decreased consumer spending. Everyone got government. Well, most people got government checks and everything. There's more. There's a lot more money in the in the overall monetary supply. Right. It just it makes sense to have inflation. So it, it's it shouldn't be a surprise. Um, and it, in some ways, you know, it depends a lot on the economy and factors, you know, it's probably not a, not a blanket statement for every economy in history, but sometimes it is good to have um, certain levels of inflation, you know, it keeps kind of keeps the, uh, the economy churning and moving. And it, it's interesting. It's, it, it seems like consumer prices for products and going from cars to milk, whatever um, have gone up the fastest because that's kind of the easiest thing for, you know, the companies to directly increase the prices on. But the the upshot of that is we'll probably see uh, real salary growth um, occurring because, you know, on the one hand, if it really is transitory, the pressures that are have already been put on, I, at least I think this is opinion, uh, but I think that we'll see real real salary increase just from the number of job openings, you know, the job it's, that's a whole nother topic of the job data, but it's interesting because there's less jobs being filled than forecasted, but there's still so many openings. Right. And it seems like there's just a lot of people leaving the labor supply, Mm -hmm. which is a a prime indicator for increased real uh, salary. Couple that with inflationary pressures on the consumer side, you, you got a, an economic, uh, a real economic system that probably going to move in that direction, which, I mean, we haven't seen in a, in a while. There has relatively slow growth in terms of real salary. Right. When we've seen uptick in real productivity. So uh, that's kind of due. But at the same time, you know, back to the, the first point of transitoriness of, of <laughs> the, the transitoriness level uh, of the inflationary pressure, it, it definitely seems... Because at the end of the day, inflation, what what creates inflation is the psychological anticipation of inflation. So when consumers right. think that inflation is going to happen, that's what creates inflation. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I mean, by its, I mean, in reality, it inflation is always transitory, because yeah. the federal, the 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 Fed, the central bank of whatever country we're talking about here, is is designed to control inflation. So any rise or you know decrease in inflation is going to be transitory because ultimately the the central bank of that country is going to try and get it back to the target rate. So yeah. I think it's pretty disingenuous of the the Fed to just say transitory without maybe trying to to put some <laughs> more meat or context around that except I know that they can't because as soon as they're wrong everyone's going to freak out because we look for, we we try and read the tea leaves whenever the Fed says something. Um, But you know, you bring up the, the kind of parallel discussion of the jobs data and 
wage growth. I mean, even in my small town where I grew up in northern Michigan, I saw a billboard advertising a job at Culver's for eighteen fifty an hour. Whew. I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty high for a fast food job. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to knock fast food workers. I'm appreciative every time I go get a Big Mac. But for eighteen fifty, I mean that that we've never seen that before, right? So yeah. um there is something to be said for that. However, I I take it almost as uh it sounded like maybe you were thinking that that's a good correction thing uh that's a good a good thing for the the labor side the way i see it is that could be um a catalyst for a negative feedback loop where salaries rise precipitously not in a healthy measured manner uh, but salaries keep rising precipitously just to fill the jobs that are needed mm. but then again as margins get crunched more on the on the production side of things, you know, companies are going to have to be charging more to justify the increase in salaries. And then, of course, people are going to be willing to buy at those increased prices. And then you get this this cycle of inflation. So I could yeah. see it playing out that way. Um, I think it'll take far more time to really tell how that is going to play in, how, how the labor data is going to play into the inflation data. What I thought was interesting in this recent um, report here, the, the one that came out today for August, uh, the, the August CPI um, data, was that inflation minus food and energy actually um, decreased a bit over mm. the last two months. So over July and August, there was actually a downtrend from June um, in, in that part of the index. So it looks like food and energy, which are two you know, that that's pretty inelastic. Yeah, um, you, pretty you, essential. <laughs> you're gonna need yeah. food, and you're gonna need <laughs> energy to heat your home and drive, right, and commute and all that. So, those things are are increasing. Um, the inflation inflation rate seems to be pretty mm -hmm. steady on those, but other um, consumer discretionary items or or non non staples of food and energy seem to be uh, decreasing a bit. Which again, maybe that has to do with concerns over the delta variant or or maybe it just is you know kind of a, a cyclical thing as summer was winding down but i i mean it, that was both july and august so we can't read too much into that it's not this is backwards looking data it's not forwards looking yeah. data so yeah it, it's um that that was really what stood out to me i i guess the the estimate definitely um i think everyone was expecting a higher number a yeah. higher headline number for inflation yeah. um but it it seems to me that whether it was a, a higher number or or stayed the same like this, I think at least for the the short term, meaning six to twelve months, we're going to see inflation um, be, play a role. And and the main uh, reason underpinning that opinion is that we haven't seen the Fed start tapering yet. Yeah. Um, which for just a quick definition of tapering, essentially the Fed um, is buying large amounts of treasury securities and mortgage-backed securities um, in their open market operations, which in turn puts more money into the system. They're buying about $120 billion worth of the securities every month. Um, and they have been since uh, mid last year, actually, since, let's see here, July, or excuse me, June of last year, they've been buying um, $120 billion a month. So that's not a small number, obviously, and that's adding a lot of liquidity and therefore more dollars chasing 
the same amount of goods. At this point, we're seeing an uptick um, in in production, obviously post post pandemic and into 2022, hopefully post pandemic here. Yeah. Um, so, but with with the Fed not tapering in September, which is clear at this point, um, my my assumption is that until we see the Fed start to taper off their their purchases of 120 billion dollars worth of securities we're gonna see inflation uh, continue uh, until until that time and probably after that i mean I, I don't know what do you think the lever is that they're that, that we're we're gonna need to see for inflation to to uh be transitory as yeah. the Fed puts it <laughs> sure I, I i mean i think it's a it's a really funky conundrum that they're in because I think on the one hand, the Fed was really hoping that um, I think every I mean, everyone was hoping that the Delta variant wouldn't be as as according to the numbers as prevalent as it is. Um, I think a lot of people are expecting a much bigger, broader overall recovery at, at about this time. So I think the Fed is very, very cautious of pulling back that tapering. I, I honestly, it seems almost that they're more cautious of pulling back the tapering to prevent investors and traders and the whole financial sector from freaking out than right. what the actual effect of tapering would be. Right. I think that the the perception of tapering is more scary to the Fed and the financial sector than the actual tapering itself, right? Because it, what it sing, signals. But you know, the interesting thing is, will I, I'd be interested to hear your your opinion on this as well. And I, I, to be honest, I forgot what the question, what you actually no, asked good. me in it, the beginning, but, um, but I think that it'll be interesting to, to think, you know, do, do you think that the reaction is going to be as bad as, as a lot of people are saying, a lot of people are thinking, as I think the fed thinks it will be, uh, I'd be interested to hear that, but on tapering. Yeah. But what was your question? Yeah. Sorry. Well, I mean the, my, my question was, I'll, I'll answer that really quick. I don't okay. think the reaction uh, to tapering is going to be that bad only because honestly the, the the financial news has been very dismissive of tapering so mm. every everything i've heard and watched um and read on tapering everyone this time around is very dismissive and has said oh it's not gonna it, it doesn't matter we're gonna be fine we're not gonna see a taper tantrum like we did in 2013 mm. um because that we know what the fed's doing this time the fed is going to signal it far far in advance so it's been very dismissive i don't think that's going to be a um uh, an issue like the fed actually might be assuming it will be um yeah which is an odd conundrum in and of itself but <laughs> um, what what will really show investors and the whole financial sector that the fed is tightening its monetary policy is when we see rates uh, rise, yeah. which is kind of I was leading you almost to that that uh, <laughs> that point of with my question, because um, w what I asked was originally, what do you think the, the lever is going to be uh, for us to see in, in this increase in inflation, you know, kind of kind of stabilize or reduce? Sure. Um, and obviously rates rising is the answer. But yeah, before that, what's going to be an indicator that we'll see? That's a good question. Um, I mean, <laughs> obviously, they're going to have to taper out the whole 120 billion in bond purchasing before right. the rates rise. So, right. So that'll be, a, but I'm sure that'll be a long road, like you're saying. The, the Fed is definitely taking a very uh, strategic approach, a very slow approach, which 
not 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 necessarily a bad thing. Um, yeah, I think well once once we see a very clear action plan to taper out all those bond purchases, I think that'll be a signal that you know at some point uh, time horizon after that, you know maybe one to three years. I don't know. It could right. be it could be a long time before we see rate increases. Or I mean, here's the thing too: is I think a lot of how the Fed is reacting to things right now is very focused on um, COVID, and I think if you know if we have some some sort of breakthroughs or you know this significant um, reduction in cases in the United States and around the globe, I think I think the Fed is watching world cases a lot more than people think they are. I think that's mm. something that they're keeping a, a close eye on. Interesting. Okay. Um, I think you know if you see if we see that kind of improvement around the globe, I think that would be a good indicator of just general financial health in the, the entire world, and I think that would probably signal a a faster move towards um, a rate change. I think that that's probably at least that's my opinion. I think mm. I think if we see global global case numbers and global um, infections and deaths going down. I think that would be a, a solid indicator of just global financial health. I think the Fed is watching that um, closer than it seems. Right. That makes sense. And and they do seem to be, well, they, they obviously have to do some some coordination with the, the EU and the European yeah, bloc yeah. with the the uh, ECB. Um, so that, that makes sense that, that they would need to take a more international approach. Um, it is interesting. You know, I, I, I did say, we brought up the 120 billion of purchases that they're making every single month. Um, they have, though, been using their reverse repurchase market uh, or reverse repos um, <laughs> to actually take some cash out of the system. And that has been, I think, severely underreported. Mm. And this, you know, it, it kind of goes against my argument that while we're not going to see much change in this inflation um, until we see tapering, goes against my argument a little bit because the tapering might have already started right underneath our noses. Um, wow! Just because they're taking they're they're taking a, a lot of money out of the system. At this point, they've taken about a trillion dollars. Um, Whoa. Yeah, out of the system just using reverse repos, which is their um, overnight operation with with banks, where they will sell uh, secure treasury securities to a bank. The bank will purchase them, and deposit the money at the Fed to make sure that they get an overnight interest rate on that money. So essentially, it's a it's a way for the Fed to take money out of the system, um, in just you know gives them another another lever to do to do so, but. They've taken out quite a bit of money um, from from you know what they've put in, which is quite a quite a large sum <laughs> over the last sure. twelve months. Um, so that that might you know put a little bit of a damper on on inflation mm. um, as we keep moving forward, because it seems that they've committed to this uh, large amount of reverse repo activity. They actually set up a permanent facility in July of this year, July, 2021, um, to facilitate that the, all of, all of these, um, agreements and, and re repos or excuse me, reverse repos and repos happen at the New York fed. Um, the New York 
hmm. branch of the Federal Reserve. And so they set up a permanent facility, which is interesting because in 2015, they said reverse repos were a temporary solution <laughs> to decrease the money supply. We so, have a transitory reverse repo situation. <laughs> yeah, I didn't wrap your head around that one. Um, so they've already started a little bit of that. So that might be an indication as well that they think we might be running a little hot with uh, with inflation already. Interesting. Um, it, it's kind of an underhanded way to do it, and maybe they like it not being publicized that much. But yeah, it is something to keep an eye on um, as as we move forward, because if if they continue to kick the can down the road when it comes to officially tapering, they yeah. may continue to use this as a as a way to offset those those purchases. Well, here's a question for you: Could they just increase the reverse repos to to the same amount that they're to, to just do a net zero and kind of I, I don't believe that they okay. I don't believe that they could do that, at least not without completely shifting the paradigm, because the the what happens with the reverse repos is the um, bank that they have the, the reverse repo agreement with who's depositing the money or essentially buying the securities. The, the Fed is paying them a very small interest rate on that money. So what you would do is if you were to put um, to put $120 billion of reverse repos um, each month in, into the Fed it, or through the through that um, New York Fed facility, um, it would very much um, disrupt the short term money market uh, part of the hmm. financial system. So I think if they were to do that, it would be almost too much of a good thing and they would ruin Interesting. the short-term um, debt system that's already in place uh, in the financial sector. So that wouldn't be a wise thing to do. It would be like, you know, trying to run a race on sugar. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it might work for a little bit, but it's not the long-term solution and not the responsible thing to do. Um, yeah. And obviously they're, they're trying to be the responsible one in the room, um, as always, but it is interesting to see them rob Peter to pay Paul essentially yeah. <laughs> with this whole tapering and repurchasing. Very funny, yeah. And it, it is that been has that been increasing over time, or is that kind of been very much so? Okay, okay. yeah. We we were we were. I've, I've got the data in front of me here. Um, in April of this year, um, they only had thirty five. Uh, yeah, around around 35 billion of repurchase agreements. And by um, August of this year, we were at a trillion. So <laughs> wow, it's very, very much increased just over the last. Wow. You know, call it five months. Uh, so it's it's definitely something I think that's been underreported. Uh, Forbes reported a little bit. Wow. Bloomberg's been reporting it a, a small amount. But again, something that, that you, we would want to keep an eye on and might be a good leading indicator as to hmm. what their stance on inflation, what the Fed's stance on inflation that's is. That's interesting. Now, do you think it could be even a, a leading indicator if they start pulling back on that, that they're going to taper? It could be. I, I would not want to read too much into that just because... Sure. I don't again I my my view is that tapering's not going to matter that much. I think really rate hikes are what's going to matter, which like you said is not going to be for a while. That's going to be in a few years. So that the the reading too much into when they might taper I think could be um a little bit of a misnomer. It might give you uh you might be reading into it too much and and trying mm. to make uh, make something out of nothing <laughs> at that point. Fair. So <laughs> it, it's always important to to make sure you're you're not reading into it too much.
Um, but with both of us seeming to, to think that inflation is here to stay, at least in the short term, what do you think, uh, what, or what are you going to be doing, you know, for your own, own, own portfolio, if you want to share, um, to, to really hedge against that is, is there's, you know, a way you're positioning your own portfolio or how would someone, you know, who, who assumes or, or has the opinion shares our, our opinion that if inflation is not going to be a, a month transitory, <laughs> might be a, might be a year transitory. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. what, what, what does a person do in that, in that, uh, circumstance sure yeah i mean there's there's a whole uh, myriad of ways to hedge against inflation to be sure but at least for myself and, and uh, <laughs> i'm a pretty pretty risk happy person uh, i'm very very okay with taking high risk things but geez i'm i'm in, I'm in uh, gold etfs at this point after after the last couple of weeks uh, after kind of digging into the figures and everything i was like you know this looks to be a pretty solid upside um, for gold and other precious metals and commodities, uh, especially especially as a hedge, uh, it's not it's not the majority of my portfolio. Right. But right. at the same time, you know, you do want to be able to have those those different kind of levers, those different kind of areas um, that will hopefully counterbalance each other in, mm -hmm. in different situations. So yeah, I, I, personally, I'm in uh, gold and uh, gold mining ETFs just because. It's funny, on most of my stock purchases, I'm a very technical, very research-oriented person who's looking for innovation, kind of the value growth-oriented. Um, but this was this was one sector where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to get the bundles. I'm not going to dive too deep. I'll <laughs> concentrate energy on just trying to find uh, innovative companies because I feel like gold mining is gold mining. What, you know, right. I mean, unless you're yeah. going after somebody who's looking for new gold. Exactly. That's, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, if you... Geez, if you can find the the people who are digging and they haven't found the gold yet, you can, you can find them. You're gonna have uh, some pretty pretty incredible returns. But right. that's yeah. but again, it doesn't sound like you're using that as a let's hit the ball out of the park here. This is no. just a let's preserve some value in the portfolio. Uh, yeah, and that's actually a really good point because I think that kind of boils to the ethos of what we're I think what we're trying to do with the long run show as a show here is. We're probably not going to give you the stock tip that makes you 100% turn. <laughs> Definitely a not. Yeah. I won't. Mike might on on accident. Mike might. I might drop a ticker and it might might pop. But yeah, no, that's not. I don't think that's the impetus. Yeah, here. yeah. I mean, you have to you have to transition at a certain point from making your gains to preserving your gains. I mean, it's just as hard. I I think maybe even harder to preserve your gains over a long period of time. Uh, than than it is to pick the next hundred x two hundred x like know, uh, like muscles muscle gains working <laughs> exactly. out you know exactly <laughs> you gotta keep you gotta keep lifting yeah I mean you can shoot up the gains. With, with some steroids but yeah, that's not gonna work long term <laughs> but <laughs> that's a fair point but yeah I mean I I think um, having a portion of your portfolio allocated to something that's that's gonna preserve what you've been building in another section is a really smart way to do it then then you kind of um, obviously diversify but you have <laughs> your your own your own sleeves within your portfolio that have yeah. their own tasks and their own marching orders yeah exactly. i think that's very smart yeah for, for me personally i i have bought some of the the gold mining etfs i think um we're a little bit counterbalanced in in our investing approach i traditionally have been more of a etf give me the bundle and uh, i'll i'll be okay with that um and I, I think uh, that's maybe my my downfall. So I have added, <laughs> I have added a few individual positions, but those are are more of a um, 
more like like we just talked about kind of the let's hit the ball out of the park let's take a few swings sure um what i'm using for you know an inflation hedge is a commodities etf actually um and i i was actually kind of choosy and looking for an etf with commodities you can get um a few different a few different types you can get um an ETF that is built on derivatives of commodities. You get an ETF that actually is built on the commodities themselves. Hmm. Um, so there's a few different few different things you can do there. I tried to stick a, to the the commodities themselves or as much as possible, um, and less of the derivatives on derivatives because that market is full of it. <laughs> so <laughs> well, I wanted it to be as close as I could to to the actual you know hard product, but. Hmm. Um, that's a that was one piece of the portfolio that I just added um, was was a was a commodity ETF along with the gold mining uh, ETFs. I think those are two okay. two good pieces. Some things also to look at would be possibly real estate. I know it seems like we might be in a, a quote unquote bubble as far as real estate values, but um, it it's one thing that they're not going to make more of. Yeah, there's no way you can produce yeah. more land. <laughs> yeah, that's all we got. So in, in a, I don't know, Elon's we're going to Mars soon. Yes, so. true. Get some <laughs> Mars real up estate's there. gonna be hot. Soon. It might be. Yeah, yeah, you can be a <laughs> land developer on Mars. Um, so, but but you know, maybe a, maybe a REIT or Fundrise. Those are some good options. Um, mm. Again, not gonna hit it out of the park probably if you're going for a a, a REIT, um, but something with exposure to real estate is good. Again, commodities, hard goods, gold, those are also great. Um, you had a you had a thought on an uncorrelated asset as well, you know, uncorrelated alternatives being a good hedge as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually something that I've got into in the last, geez, only the last like six months is uh, fine wine investing, right. which is it's, it's something I'd never thought about investing in before mm -hmm. and just kind of. I heard about it from the grapevine. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> You're in for those folks. You're in for some bad oh, puns yeah. around here. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I uh, let it ferment in my head for a little while oh. and kind of yeah, yeah. Um no, but but it, it, I think the the hunt for uncorrelated assets like real alternatives uh just kind of led me in that direction because it was at the same time I was getting more and more into crypto. Um, crypto is a significant part of my portfolio as well because I legitimately believe that there is um, a lot of innovation going on there. I'm, I'm actually not a big Bitcoin fan. I don't. Interesting. I'm not, a, not a big uh, digital gold guy. All right. Rather... I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, the the, the supply is locked, right? So wouldn't that be a good inflation hedge? Sure, but I think at least for me, uh, and this is just personal. This is personal opinion. None of this. Uh, yeah, here's the disclosure. None of yeah. this constitutes official investment advice. Exactly. Talk to your, licensed advisor um, and all that. But for me, I, what attracted me to cryptocurrency originally was the projects that have uh, legitimate, like like real use cases. And sure, we have you know, the, the forks coming out for Bitcoin that are kind of adding on to it and creating more use cases. But I think at the end of the day, if, if, the, if the blockchain itself is built to be used for, for um, you know, creative purposes, I think it's going to be able to do better in the long run than things that are kind of tacked on. So for me, uh, the things that got me into cryptocurrency were coins like Ethereum, Algorand, uh, Stellar Lumens, like things that had uh, specific direction to them where they were using blockchain technology not to just store value. Like it's great. 
it, it's it's a great way to use it. And I mean, gosh, yeah, Bitcoin is an incredible innovation. It obviously it worked. Is, yeah, it worked. <laughs> it worked very well and uh, continues to work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm not not as as bullish on Bitcoin as I am on other coins and uh, chains that have kind of more broad, innovative uses. Uh, I think if you're looking for just a value, if you're looking for just kind of keeping value, you know, I think that you're probably better off with a gold miner ETF or something like that, rather mm -hmm. than investing in Bitcoin to try and lock in value. If you really believe that Bitcoin is going to the moon, then, you know, sure. Um, but I think at least for me, and this is kind of a more a broad statement as a whole, but as an investor, I look for things that I legitimately believe in. Right. Um, unless right. it's super short term, but we don't talk about that on the long term show. No, this is the, this <laughs> is the long run show. Yeah, the long run <laughs> show. Oh, sorry, sorry. The long we run show. We don't talk about short We don't term. talk about that. So, so yeah, so fine wine, getting back to the point, fine wine kind of came up and started getting more and more into it. And it's a really interesting, a uh, really interesting hedge, especially against something like inflation where it's this unique alternative asset that you know it's physical you can take shipment of it if i want i can actually get my bottles shipped to me and that's kind of wild and uh drink them if i really want to let me know uh, when you're doing that i'll come over yeah 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 definitely um <laughs> but it, it's a unique kind of alternative asset that you know it's not it's not like it's not fine art, you know. I don't have to shell out thirty million to buy a Monet or something like that. Right. You can buy a case of <laughs> a case of like very high quality wine for thousand dollars or something like that, and let that sit and let that mm -hmm. mature and uh, you know collect returns on the 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 value of the wine going up over time. Which usually it seems like they trend upwards as they get better with age or whatever. But then you also it's one of those products that is naturally going to be a pretty decent hedge against uh, inflation, at least from from what I've seen, what I've experienced. So that's that's something that is some, I never would have thought I'd be investing in. Right. And I don't think it's been really accessible to invest in no. for, you know, not in a liquid way or an yeah. a, 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 a easy way for normal people yeah, yeah. <laughs> who are not Somalia yeah. and wine snobs, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. But yeah. I, and and yeah, something less. uh sexy than wine investing um, <laughs> that, that just just crossed my mind i think is important to to broach the topic here is just large mega cap stocks those may mm. be one of the one of the better um almost low risk again obviously they're an equity right so you, you've got inherent risk there but um those mega cap stocks in in the in the u.s market are going to fare pretty well in an inflation inflationary period. Um, they're they're set up perfectly. They've got their war chest full of cash to do whatever they need to um, to to be nimble enough. They've got you know very good solid revenues coming in, it, yeah. and and they have most of them being tech companies. Obviously, have room to grow margins even during inflationary times. So, I think those are also a, a good. A good uh, thing to look at even owning a an etf you, you know me and my etfs <laughs> even owning an etf on the s p 500 still a bet on the on the top five or six companies right so yeah that's a good point that's that's also not a bad uh inflation hedge either and and something that might be overlooked um when you're thinking about inflation because obviously you're going to think gold commodities hard yeah, assets that's true uh, but 
in in these sort of crazy times, <laughs> maybe <laughs> the the safest bet might be a, a few stocks. Mm. And that's a that's a fun a fun thought too because it's it's been interesting to watch the the prices of Fang and the other kind of right. mega caps like you're talking about um, go up quite a bit in the last year, and you know it's it's interesting to. I mean, talk about parabolic. Just look at Alphabet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. look at their chart. You yeah, know. yeah. You'll it's... wish you'd bought it in yeah. 2019. <laughs> but now here, here's the question, though. That I, at least from what I've been seeing and reading and hearing about, it does seem like there's kind of this movement. There seems more and more um, uh, leverage behind. I don't not leverage, but it seems to be a, a cascade. Momentum. momentum that's yeah. a good word. Uh, more and more momentum around kind of government actions both in the united states in europe especially um, and around the world i mean of bigger and bigger fines uh more kind of you know not quite antitrust yet but we're edging in that direction there's a lot of talks to to those kind of things and i I don't know what are your thoughts on that do you think that and now we're getting we're getting very far off the inflation that's okay i mean but uh, you know I, I think um, I, I think that's definitely. I mean, you're talking about regulation risk there, right? Yeah. And so that plays into it's a stock. So if you're using it as an inflation hedge, obviously there's more than just inflation that you need to think about when yeah. you're owning a stock. It's a business that operates in the real world, deals with real people, real governments. They're obviously with a mega cap stock. It's in the name. It's a giant. So there's going to be you know antitrust. Um, you know, opportunities for regulators to come in and apply antitrust law to it, um, or even privacy restrictions with with these tech companies. That's a huge a huge concern in Europe as well. So yes, there's there's regulation risk. Um, I think that's probably a healthy thing. We don't want five companies buying up all the startups. Um, because the competition is what drives innovation, right? And so you need to maintain that. Um, but uh, at this, at the same token, I think from a valuation perspective, um, antitrust is not going to be um, not going to be the the straw that breaks the camel's back when it comes to will will their valuations will these big you know the fang stocks will will their valuations stick around i think they have so much uh internal growth possible just because they have ample resources at their disposal i i don't believe that that antitrust is going to be the straw that breaks the candles back there and so that's what you know i that's maybe my too bullish perspective on them (laughs) from an from a from a uh, you know long longer term view but I think that's why um, I would look to them possibly uh, sure. as, as a piece of the portfolio to think about, you know, giving them the the inflation hedge um, task, along with you know yeah. the other the other things we talked about, the other vehicles we talked about. And that's actually a really good point. The valuation perspective. I I didn't realize this until recently, but the the classic antitrust of Standard Oil and John John D. Rockefeller. Apparently, he didn't really. I mean, he he grew fabulously wealthy because of right. standard oil but he actually m- became the wealthiest man in the world after it was broken up and he had interests in all of the subsidiaries that were kind of shattered into and all of them started doing well and so as an aggregate the the pieces of standard oil actually did better and made him richer than, than standard oil as a as a near monopoly so yeah. maybe the best uh, the best way to get rich in the long run is to just 
as soon as you see a company about to be broken up, go buy, go buy it. <laughs> get full ownership stakes pull, and all the subsidiaries. Yeah, pull a Rockefeller. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be deemed pulling a Rockefeller. Yeah, you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us here today on the Long Run Show. Um, it's been great talking about inflation. Like we uh, like we mentioned, there's a few different ways you can hedge against it. Obviously, there's a, a myriad of different indicators that you might want to look at. Keep in mind that CPI and the data that comes out on a monthly basis, that's that's backwards leaning. I mean, we're, we're in September talking about August data. So yeah. you want to find your, your leading indicators if you're trying to, to position yourself for the future. Um, and and obviously, you know, give give different sections. I think the the theme here at the end was give different sections of your portfolio different tasks, give them different marching orders. Yeah, that sounds good. And one thing that we didn't get to touch about, which I think would be a whole other episode is things like the infrastructure bill, you know, what happens right. if a three, right. three and a half trillion dollar bill gets passed? That's, you know, that's, that's a whole other ball game. You're going to be watching that stuff as well. So right. um, just keep the eyes open across, uh, across the sectors of government and financial sector and everything. Yeah. There's a lot to keep your eyes on and you'll yeah. have two of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> Anyways, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, like subscribe and uh, we'll see you next time on the long run show with Michael O'Connor and Austin Wilson. See you next time. Bye. Did you know nearly all stock price changes of 10% or more result from a single news headline? That's right. News headlines have a unique ability to drive stock prices up or down. These news catalysts create trading opportunities every day. All you need is a little help to reach out and take them. And if you're looking to grow your portfolio, it doesn't matter if your investment budget is small or big. An easy-to-read stream of news headlines will increase your opportunities to profit from price changes in the stock market, consolidate a knowledge-based investment strategy, and grow your portfolio. All you need is Benzinga Pro and its powerful news alerts, price tracking, and portfolio monitoring to make a positive change in your trading performance. We've already helped thousands of retail traders across the world, and they could not be happier. Increase your market knowledge, boost your exposure to big movers, and make informed trades before major price changes. The opportunities are all around you. Subscribe now, and we'll skyrocket your portfolio today.